we looked at last week is that first, the first way that we experience gospel transformation as we are on this journey is by knowing God. Because knowing God leads to a knowledge of ourselves that we are sinful and then we see how holy God is. That leads us to repentance and faith in Him. And it's only by a, a deeper relationship with Him that we then continue to be transformed. It's only a continued relationship of intimacy by getting to know Him deeper and deeper that we continue to see, wow, He's that powerful? He's that loving? He's that holy? I want to give my life to Him. And so this is why when Jesus is approached by the lawyer and He says, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus first says to love your Lord with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. What Jesus is saying there is, He's declaring, he's, he's saying, look, if you want to love me, love me with everything you've got at all times. Love me with your affections. Love me with your will. Love me with your intellect and your mind. All of it. I want all of it. And so this is why knowing God is so important. Because without knowing God, then we wouldn't know that truth. That we have been called as living beings with flesh and bones and blood and organs to know him and to love him because he's saved us. And so this morning we're going to look at the second part of that. Because Jesus goes on to say the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, this is, this is amazing when we take time to reflect and really think about what Jesus is saying here. Jesus has, and maybe this is the only encouragement that you'll ever hear this morning, or maybe from my, my mouth. Hopefully I encourage you more than this, but let me just say this. Jesus has never once wasted a single word. <laughs> Think about that. Jesus has never once slipped up and said, I, uh, I didn't actually mean it like this. He, he has never once said, oh, you know what? I've got to go back and... No, Jesus has never once said anything that hasn't been relevant for God's glory. He has never once messed up in anything that he's ever said. And so he goes on to say the second, the second, the, right? This whole overarching theme. Jesus, what is the great, what's the most important commandment that we can live by? And he starts off loving the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he says the second is like it. And so if the second is like the first, then we must pay attention because Jesus is trying to draw out something so crystal clear for the people of God. He quoted Deuteronomy first, and now he's quoting Leviticus. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. What Jesus is saying right here, and this is important, so we can't miss this. What Jesus is saying right now 
right here is that if you love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you fail to love your neighbor as yourself, then you don't love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And if you love your neighbor as yourself, but you don't love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, then you don't actually love your neighbor. And isn't this the two that we see battles that happen, has happened throughout all of history? We have one side of the people that say, you just need to love God and keep to yourself and at times go ahead and share the gospel and the love of God, but I don't really ever have to love my neighbor as myself. I can keep an arm's distance. I can continue to cuss at them through Facebook or tell them how what their beliefs are in political government or whatever is wrong, but I just need to love the Lord and, and just kind of forget my neighbor. I don't ever have to do anything to them. Maybe smile at them once in a while. But then we have this other group that says, well, you know what? No, no, no. It's just, you know, that old quote from that church father that says, preach the gospel at all times, but use words if necessary. We just need to love people into the kingdom by serving them. So you don't have to ever share the gospel or love God or get to know him. It's just, I was just come over here and just, we'll just love our neighbors. All the while, you can never serve a person enough into the kingdom of God because faith comes through hearing. And so Jesus right here is saying the greatest commandment out of every single commandment known to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength and your neighbor as yourself. And what does he say after this? He goes on to say, on these two commandments depend all the law and prophets. Most theologians say that loving God is the first five commandments of the Ten Commandments and loving your neighbor is the second five. You break up them into two things and you, you do this and you fulfill the law. But this is our problem. This is the serious problem of mankind. We want to love the easiest person we know. You know who that is? I, Max, want to love the easiest person I know. You know who the easiest person to love is for me? It's me. And you want to love yourself because you are the easiest person to love. This is the sinful nature of humankind because we are out for ourselves. We are our biggest lovers of ourselves. We are. And this is what sin teaches us, is that we would rather replace God and become God ourselves. This is exactly what Adam and Eve did. This is what we still continue to do today as we look out for ourselves. But we cannot get this mistaken because Jesus right here is saying that we have to love our neighbors as ourselves. And so here's what we have to do today. And I should have done this last week first, but I'm going to do it this week. So if you need to then go back to last week and listen to last week's message, then go ahead and do that. But what we first need to do is we first need to, this thing is really annoying me this morning. Um, we first need to define what love is. Right, you got the 
the, I've never seen the movie. I've only seen this part, the night at the Roxbury. You know, what is love? Right, that song? We've got to define what love is. As Sharice and I were driving a few days ago, um, it's almost not, it was perfect timing for this message. As Sharice and I are driving on the road, she's bringing me to work. We pull up at the corner of College and Richmond, I think it was. And as we're, um, as we're standing at a standstill at a red light, a car van pulls in front of us, and on the back there's a bumper sticker that says, Love is love. Love is love, right? Didn't you know that? That love is love. In fact, we've gone for a, a we, we, Sharice and I love to go for walks. And one of our, um, in our neighborhood, there is a sign. It's, it's kind of the creed of the secular society. And the first thing on this creed says, love is love. And then there's a few more things that as it goes down, um, it's, I, I just won't even bother mentioning the rest but but the first one is this declaration that love is love now is love love what is that i i asked sharice I, I i had to ask her what is love like what what does that mean what does love is love mean like what does that mean seriously is love love if that's the case then is yellow yellow I mean, we cannot just define a word with the same exact word without ever defining what the word is in the first place. And so what, there, what, what, what this idea of is love is love is that I get to be the maker and definer of what love is. And guess what happens when we do that? We, we ruin love because we're sinful human beings for our selfish gain. And so... I get to then define what love is. It would be as if you came up to me and said, Max, what is a pen? And I said, well, a pen is a pen. And if you walked away satisfied, I, I, I just don't know if there'd be any hope for you. <laughs> because there's more to a pen than just a pen. A pen has a cap. A, ca a, a pen has ink and and it's through this ink that you actually get to write. But the only way that you can use the ink that's in this plastic tube is through a ballpoint pen or some other way. And you put the pen with the cap off on the paper and you write. And as you write, the ink comes out. And there's usually a case over the ink because ink likes to stain and gets really messy. You see how when we just say love is love, you get to define it, whatever it is. Then I could tell you, Max, what is a pen? I could say, it's like this orange thing that you peel and then you eat. Because that's what I want a pen to be that day. Do You see how faulty it is when we sit here and say, well, this is what I want love to mean today. This is what love means to me. And so we have to understand what true love is and what biblical love is. And what the Bible tells us what love is, is that God himself is love. And this is mind-blowing. 
God is love. God is love. Not he has love. Not he's kind of like love. No, God himself is love. Why is it? Because God is light and there is no darkness in him. God is completely and wholly pure, without blemish. God is love. There is not one stain of selfishness in his heart because he is love. Now, some of you may be thinking right now, well, Max, you know, the Old Testament God doesn't really seem that loving. You know, if God was an all-loving God, right, then he, one, wouldn't have crucified his son. That seems pretty harsh. If God was all-loving, then why did he take out all these people? If God is all-loving, then why is there an eternal torment called hell? That doesn't seem like a very loving God. Well, that's the only appropriate response to sin. And in fact, that is his loving response to sin. Now, you may be thinking, how is that possible? How is God's love an appropriate response to sin? That seems like wrath. That seems like anger. How can anger be love? Well, this is the problem is that we love to define love. Think about it like this. If you had a child And your child started going off the deep end. Started taking drugs, more drugs. What would your response be? Would, would you just tell them, well, I guess if that's, I mean, love is love, so if that's your lifestyle, go right ahead. Wouldn't there be a righteous indignation of saying, no, I love you so much. What you're about to do is ruin your life. You're about to wreck your life if you continue to do this. And I can't let you do that. This is the love of God as he sees mankind continue to sin. He says, my love is far greater than you could ever imagine. But I cannot let you get away with this sin. It would actually be unloving of God to let sin in heaven. And so God's wrath is actually his love shown to us. You know, the Bible never once says God is wrath. We see that God is love. In fact, the Puritans used to say that God's wrath is actually strange. It's because God is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And so you may be here this morning very weary and very weak. Let me just try the best I possibly can for you to illustrate what God's love is like. It's like when you get close 
the Niagara Falls. And you feel the mist of the falls on your face. God's love meets those that are weary and refreshes them. This morning, if you're bruised reed, you're just trying to make it through another day. God's love will comfort you and give you that refreshment. But God's love is also so powerful, so magnificent and majestic, that if you were to stand underneath that waterfall, it would crush you. That's the power of God's love. There's a, a story of an old uh, evangelist pastor called D.L. Moody. He was once going through a hard season in his life. And as he was in New York walking around, he just had a, a moment and felt the presence of the Lord. And so what he did was he went to his friend's house, got into a room and prayed, and in his journal in, in this kind of in this story that he's he's telling is that he experienced God's love so ferociously that he said I had to pray and ask God to back off this is my prayer for our church this is my prayer for me that I would experience God and that you would experience God's love in such a way that you would say, I need you to pack off. This is so overwhelming that I just need you, God, to, to give me a little, little break from how much this love is. So the question would be then, well, what does this love look like on display? If this is the love that we can experience, if this is the love, if God is love, we cannot then just give vague abstracts of love is love and just switch it over to God is love. What does this look like on display for us? What does it look like on display for us? How big is God's love then? If this is the, the love, if, if his love is so gentle that it would refresh me and yet so powerful that it could crush me, what does this love look like? I think we have no better of a passage than John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I mean, think about that for a moment with me. God so loved the what? The world. Do you know of anybody else in the world who has enough love to love the world? And so we aren't talking about a small type of love. We are talking about a grand, a massive love that is so big, so powerful, that the whole world is able to experience his love and be shaken by his love. This is the love. The love of God comes to the whole world, all of it, all of this world. And I think we far too often look past this word so 
because we, uh, sometimes it's so great to just say, so, and draw it out. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whomever should believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. Okay, so if, if this is what God's love is like on display, let's go a little bit deeper. How much more on display can, can we see this God's love for us? So if God so loved the world, despite our sinfulness, despite our ugliness, despite our lack of being able to live up to his law, despite our failure to conform to him. If he so loved his world, he, he gave his son over to it. For what? For our sins. He came and displayed his love perfectly for us. As we see time after time, Jesus, the son of God, God in the flesh, goes to who? Who does Jesus go to? Who does the Son of God go to? He goes to the weak. He goes to the marginalized. He goes to, he goes to the oppressed. He goes to the prostitutes, the drunkards, the cheaters. And he says, come to me. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. God comes to the world despite the world hating him. And he does the unthinkable. God himself lives the perfect spotless life that we have been called to live. He dies the death and takes the wrath of God that we were supposed to take. He's buried for us and rises three days later so that you and I could experience this love. As David says, so we can taste and see that the Lord is good. I just, in the first chapter of this book, I just want to read real quick. Ray Ortland says it way better than I do. Every, <clears throat> every other hope is based explicitly or implicitly on how deserving we are. Only the Christian gospel is based clearly, boldly, and instinctly on how loving God is to the undeserving. If you thought you could earn, demand, and fight your way through life on the basis of your own entitlements and cleverness, but now you find within yourself not light, but darkness and denial, not freedom, but impasse. If you have shocked yourself with the evil you're capable of and have given up on yourself in despair, the God of love waits for you with open arms today. The God of love waits for you. He's waiting for you with open arms, just like the prodigal or the father was waiting for his son to come home. So the father is waiting for open arms for you to come home. 
He's not waiting to tell you, I told you so. What were you thinking? How dare you? His arms are open wide, saying, come home, son, come home, daughter. Because I love you. Because I love you. This is what it's like to experience gospel transformation. It's when the God of love opens wide his arms and says, come home. I've been waiting for you. I guess I just want to ask again. Are you tired? Are you weary? Are you burdened and heavy laden? Jesus opens up his arms wide and says, I will give you rest. That's a promise. It's not, it's not like, guys, it's not at all like the love that we experience here where, where even those that we're closest with <coughs> fail us and deceive us. Now, Jesus' love is not like that one bit. His love is pure and good and holy. And he's died so that way you can experience his love. So what's the outcome of this then? If we're people that have experienced God's love, or if the love of God has been poured into our hearts, how do we respond? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. When we experience genuine, true gospel transformation because the love of God has been poured into our hearts, we can't help but love our neighbor. Now, I'm not saying that it's easy. I'm not, I'm not saying that at all. You should come to my life group, see the bunch of mis misfits that we have that show up. Some of those people, goodness. <laughs> I'm kidding, of course. <laughs> kind of. I'm not saying that it's easy to love your neighbor at, at all. And that's, that's, I mean, there is still an indwelling sin that's in our, our lives. There still is this selfishness, this war that we have to, to battle to kill this, this selfishness, to kill not wanting to serve my neighbor. Look, it's, it would be easy, and it is so easy just to kind of turn the other cheek when it comes to loving your neighbor as yourself. But yet this is still the command that Jesus gives us is that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. <clears throat> and so today, what we've been looking at is what it looks like to love one another. That's what we've been looking at. So what does it mean? What does it look like to love one another? Well, first, this is just what I want to say about this. There's over 20 times in the New Testament that we are commanded to love one another. 
So this isn't just kind of a suggestion of if you're feeling in the mood, or if you can, or if you could do this, Jesus isn't saying you, you should love your neighbor as yourself, as if he's just kind of giving this suggestion to us, like, okay, if you want to live a good moral life, you should love your neighbor. No, he's saying, you shall. This is what you should do. This is not sure. This is what you are going to do. When you've experienced this love of God, go and love your neighbor as yourself. And then Paul picks up on this theme. John picks up on this theme. Peter picks up on this theme. Love one another. Love one another. And yet in the church, it seems as if the church towards one another, we are coming across more as divisive than anything else right now in this, in this period of history. And yet, when we look at divisiveness, when we look at gossip, we see that Paul is always explicitly condemning that, saying, put that to death. There's no room for that stuff in the church. But what there is room for is to love one another because of the principle of loving your neighbor as yourself. Who is my neighbor, maybe you're asking? It's all the way from the most extreme left person to the extreme right person to the person in the middle. There's no wiggle room with who you're called to love because Jesus says, love your enemy. Love them. And so I don't know if, if, if any of you got beef with one another here at this church, but if you do, then you're called to squash that. You're called to go and find reconciliation. You're called to go and find and love that person like Christ has loved you. The people of God are called to love everybody, even those that kill us. I'm going to tell a quick story, and then what I'd like to do is wrap this up by just giving very practical advice. I just recently heard this story. You know, the church has always been marked by its love, and we are entering into a period of... Uh, uh, I really think that we're seeing historical events, which something I've always wanted to experience. Um, kind of probably strange, but I, seriously, I've always wanted to live during a historic time. We're living during a historic time. And there's two ways that the church could respond. By praying earnestly and loving one another. I desperately believe this to be true. The church that is going to pray earnestly and love one another so completely different will be a church, will be a light in the midst of darkness. And so here, here's, here's a story that I just recently heard. In the early church, when the church was being persecuted, King Herod, so it wouldn't have been the King Herod that gruesomely killed a bunch of infants, Went to Ben, the King Herod, who killed or not killed, but beat Jesus within two of inch of his life. Would have been the Herod after that. Um, was desperately, I mean, desperately trying to squash the church, because during the first century in Rome, you had to pay homage to Caesar. You had to bow down to Caesar. Caesar was Lord. Is what you would confess. The only reason why the Jewish people were allowed to then come in 
to that society was if they wouldn't proselytize and because they paid their taxes to Caesar. So they weren't persecuted because they didn't proselytize and because they paid taxes to Caesar. They were fine. But when the church came on the scene, I was going crazy. People were sharing the good news that Jesus Christ is Lord. And when they were saying, no, you must confess that Caesar is Lord, people were saying, no, I only have one Lord, Jesus. And so Herod was trying to persecute them. And Herod was stringing them up, lighting them on fire, throwing them to the lions. And so he was so confused because the church only continued to grow and grow and grow. And here is what he did. He sent a spy in. And he said, I want you to figure out what's the matter with these people. And so his spy goes in and comes back to him and says, they love as if something divine has happened to them. <laughs> you better believe it. And then he goes on to tell Herod, if a brother lacks food, they give another person gives their brother food even if that means that they have to fast a few days that type of love towards one another is incredible are you willing to fast for your brother and sister to show your love towards one another it's a question that i've been dealing with and just wrestling through would i be willing to go a few days without eat just so that way greg could have some food for the night and so this is what the church needs to be marked by an extravagant divine love that could only be produced by the holy spirit this is why Jesus is commanding us and tells us that if we want to fulfill the law and prophets, love your neighbor, love one another. And how do we do that? As ourselves. We love our neighbor as ourselves. What does that mean? I can't say it any clearer than when I was reading um, what John Calvin had to say about this. And I kind of feel a little bit dumb because it's one of those things where I over, always overthought it. If we are the biggest lovers of ourselves, then what Jesus is saying here is love your neighbor just like you would love yourself, which means this. If you were hungry, would you feed yourself? So if you see somebody that's hungry, why wouldn't you feed them? If you needed clothes, would you go out and buy yourself clothes? And if you saw a neighbor who needed clothes, why wouldn't you go out and buy them clothes? If you were thirsty, would you get up and go get yourself a cup of water or a cup of coffee or soda or anything that would quench your thirst? If that is the case, then why wouldn't you go out of your way to get your neighbor something to drink? If you saw somebody that was sick, Would you bring them a meal? If you were sick, wouldn't you take care of yourself and nurse yourself? Then why wouldn't you do that if somebody was sick that you knew? 
look, here, here I'm going to say something. Maybe it'll get me in trouble. Maybe not. We'll see. The, the, church, the, the church started the orphan, orphanages. The church started homeless shelters. The church started hospitals. The church started schools. This is the first time, at least in history, that I've read of or seen the church saying the best way to love your neighbors by not interacting with them. The church has been made for stuff like what's going on right now. And yet the position we have taken is it would be better to not interact and go into the sick and to love them well. I mean, we, we have so many resources now. You can, all you have to do is go on your phone and push click, and you can actually tell somebody or send somebody to bring another person food if you really wanted to. The, the church has been made to love one another in such an extreme way that it's completely and utterly different. And so here's the question that I just want to leave us with tonight. Or not tonight, this morning. I haven't preached that long. Is this... Are we going to be committed to loving one another as Christ has loved us? I just want to leave us with this last challenge, and it's this. Look, I get it. I get it. Right now, it is hard to love one another. But like I said, the church has always drawn in. The church has always ran into the building that's on fire, not away from it, saying the best way to love them is just by shouting at them. No, they've ran into the fire. And yet what we're saying is, no, we're not going to do that. And so here, I just, I'm going to read this, and then I'm going to close it for us. Look, guys, God loves us like crazy. He sent his own son, Jesus, to die for us. And when we believe that, we, we have the Spirit of God, which the love of God has poured into us. And so here, I just want to leave us with this. First John Chapter 4, starting in verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves God has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only Son, into the world so that we might live through Him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our, son, for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another... God abides in us and his love and is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. This is the mark of a spirit-indwelled, born-again believer. This is what the church was made for. 
love one another. And when we show that love, when we show his love, we are showing the love of Christ. And when we do not show that love, we're not showing the love of Christ. Let's pray. Father, you, you are wonderful. You are mighty. You are perfect. Father, would you please pour your love into our hearts? Father, would you please cause us to love you deeply and love our neighbors as ourselves? Please, God, forgive us of our selfishness. Allow us here to leave here loving one another as if something divine has happened to us. Pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.